Hey, this is Jake Green. And this is Julius Jackson. And now listening to Talk That Talk Uncensored with JoJo and Britt. In today's episode, we'll be discussing our experiences in empowering the youth within our own communities. Stay tuned. Our Muse highlight this week in honor of Latino Heritage Month is Ms. Felicitas Mendez. Born in 1916 in Puerto Rico, is most known for her role in suing the school district in the town of Westminster, California after her children were refused enrollment at a local public school because of their skin color. Mendez married a Mexican immigrant. She and other parents came together demanding the school district allow their Mexican-American children entry into an all-white school. A federal district court in 1946 ruled that school districts were violating Mexican-American citizens' rights and ruled in favor of Mendez and other parents. The ruling paved the way for the landmark decision, Brown versus Board of Education, which ruled against the segregation of public schools. Felicitas Mendez, we honor you. Hey guys, and thank you for tuning in to episode four of Talk That Talk Uncensored. Today, we have two very special guests. One coming from the Virgin Islands and one coming from Baltimore. Both are community advocates and we'll get to know them in a second. But first, I'll go ahead and read James's bio. So James Green Jr. is a native of Baltimore, Maryland and serves as the Chief Program Officer of My Brother's Keeper Baltimore and the Associate Director of Program Operation for the Center for African American Male Engagement. At an early age, his ability to develop and effectively communicate viable solutions for the challenges youth face daily Gardner James, a national platform as a youth advocate. In his book, I Am Love, James shares the principle of his enduring success as a relationship strategist. Through honest self-reflection, shared life experiences, and insightful teachings about the transformative power of love, James continues to solidify his position as a dynamic innovator in the world of human development. And for the sake of the show, we'll refer James as Jay, because that's how <laughs> Welcome, right. James. Well, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> So Julius, standing at six foot five, weighing 230 pounds. <laughs> I'm kidding. Julius Jackson is a professional chef, professional boxer, author, mentor, and Olympian who represented the U.S. Virgin Islands in 2008. He is a graduate of the Florida Culinary Institute in West Palm Beach. Julius is currently the head chef and manager at My Brother's Workshop, Bakery, and Cafe, a nonprofit training program for at-risk youth. Julius's latest accomplishment is his first cookbook, My Modern Caribbean Kitchen, 70 Fresh Takes on Island Favorites, which has been critically acclaimed by Travel Noir Magazine and Essence Magazine. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So I have to do this. So let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> <laughs> When we were preparing for the show, I was like, um, I was practicing reading everything. And um, I was like, I was telling Brittany, I'm like, I, and Brittany was like, you should do it. I'm like, all right, we're corny, okay? Just a little. But anyway, so let's get to it, right? Um, can you both, we'll start with you, Jay. Tell us about your organization, the mission, and your role um, currently. Sure. So I actually have a dual role. Um, and it's kind of housed under one space. So technically I am a employee of the city of Baltimore um, in the mayor's office of children and family success. 
Um, and there I am the uh, Associate Director of Program Operations um, for the Center for African-American Male Engagement, which does more of the um, ground level, building relationships and communities uh, work. Um, and for that work, I um, have the responsibility of architecting programming um, and ensuring that it's effective and that we're changing the lives of black boys, brown boys, and in in, in not just in America, I apologize, but in Baltimore. Um, in my role as a chief program officer for My Brother's Keeper Baltimore, which is a, um, a community within the My Brother's Keeper Alliance that President Obama started in 2014 after um, the death of Trayvon Martin, My Brother's Keeper is more of a policy and advocacy um, organization. And so in that space, it's my responsibility to bring in community organizations, to bring in different policymakers, to bring in different individuals from city government agencies, uh, bring them to the table and really collaborate around policies um, and advocating for life outcomes for boys and young men of color. Julius, tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what your role is. Yes, so um, I work for or with My Brother's Workshop, which is a nonprofit that was founded in 2015. Uh, the main mission of My Brother's Workshop is uh, to bring hope to our at-risk youth, um, male or female, um, any race can be a part of our, our organization. Uh, but our goal is to give them hope to not only uh, be able to you know, be successful in the workforce, but also give them uh, skills and, and qualities and uh, an outlook on life that they can take to any area. Um, we try to uh, push uh, well-rounded individuals. Um, that, that's really our goal. Um, you know, a lot of people would think that if uh, some trainees, which we refer to our students as trainees, uh, they come to the cafe and um, we, they think that we just want to train chefs. Uh, but that's not what we want to do. Um, most of our graduates don't actually don't go into the hospitality industry. Uh, they usually uh, find what they really want to do. Um, and we just use the cafe as a, as a medium, you know, a medium to um, not only build confidence, you know, they get to do something that uh, they regularly won't do and they get to learn skills that they regularly won't learn and that builds confidence. Um, but then they also get to find themselves in that process. Um, we build first relationships. That's what we want to do: is build relationships with these with these uh, trainees, and then uh, they, then they get to open up. They get to talk and uh, really start to dig deep in themselves, and they can access questions, and we can give them real answers. Um, that's that's the <laughs> the biggest part of my job that I, I really love is getting uh, to have them in a space where we can actually talk about real things, and not just be like you know cook this. Uh, pancake right you know <laughs> um, that's that's really what we do there at my brother workshop is create relationships and and build when well-rounded individuals to go out in the community that's awesome um as you both stated you know you guys have similar missions and are out there in the community trying to you know build up especially working with the youth you mentioned something julius with uh what you referred to the adults trainee. During my time volunteering, especially in undergrad, I was like a, a leadership coordinator for, it's called the Center for Community Service and Justice, and they work out in the community, in Baltimore community. And so it was through there that I really learned the importance, like they emphasize the importance of um, labels and what we use, especially when you're out in the community working with them. So, you know, we always would say like, we're serving versus helping and we're serving underserved communities because essentially we didn't want that label to be, you know, it's important. It's 
similar to the difference right. of what I tell people is like calling somebody an illegal alien versus undocumented, like a human being can't mm -hmm. be illegal, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. we're all God's Agreed. children. But, <laughs> but with that said, um, could you guys speak on how do you all define certain terms when you are working with your communities and maybe like the importance of that in your line of work? So particularly, for me, the, the, the question that you asked is, um, is important because when we talk about boys and young men of color, um, there are so many different stereotypes that we could, um, that we could, we could talk about. But one of the larger um, parts of work that we do is with youth who squeegee in Baltimore. And if you know anything about them, um, they've been called squeegee boys, they've been called squeegee kids, they've been called pests, they've been called all of these things. But at the end of the day, the importance of being able to see someone as a human being um, with experiences um, is extremely important. So one of the things that I really try to call people is by their name. Um, I don't try to identify them in a particular group, um, especially when I'm in front of them. I want to know their name. Uh, but oftentimes when we're out, um, I'm, I'm addressing them as king or I'm addressing them as soldier. And this mm -hmm. is something that for me is a term of infection, a term of affection, a term of endearment, uh, because it's, it's, again, helping them to understand that you have a king nature. So even when we're dealing with young women as we're out, it's, it's queen or it's sister. Um, and that's something that I've learned both from my Christian brothers and from my brothers in, in, in the Muslim, in the, my Muslim brothers from the Nation of Islam, um, we created um, out of our office a movement called We Are Us that goes into the community. Um, and within about three months, we had um, helped to get 180 people jobs, um, about 45 people into treatment. Uh, another you know, group of individuals connected back to their families, fathers with sons, helped some women who were experiencing abuse, transition out of those situations. Um, and so for us, it's, it's king, it's soldier, it's sister, it's queen. It's about identifying you with, um, about with, your, with your future self. So um, I, I know that a part of the question was, was to some degree, how do we define people as we work with them, um, their name, um, and then that thing that I believe is most inside of them um, in terms of just that, that positive nature is how I try to identify people as I'm moving in the community or even in the space with policy, as I spoke about earlier. Awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, similarly, um, when we're at the, at the bakery, um, we want to give them a sense of professionalism. So um, a lot of them just don't have exposure to the business world. Um, a lot of them don't know how to carry themselves in a uh, business setting. And so we try to teach them to use terms that are popular in the business setting. But once we're uh, on a relationship level, once we get there, um, we definitely refer to each other as brother or sister. Uh, we want to use those terms. Um, a lot of our, our trainees, they hear, uh, you know, Brittany will tell you, our culture is, is really rough, you know. <laughs> they would call, they would, parents, aunties, uncles, they will call you anything in the name, any, whatever they can come up with. Uh, mm -hmm. We even make up names, Rampal and uh, your dirty foot or you know saying I can be a stinking mouth you, you know <laughs> yep. call all kind of everything names. but your name right correct and and that's what we're used to um mm -hmm. especially being whatever your insecurities and, are really exactly and they'll they'll make that into a nickname or a name for you and so our, our our trainees are used to hearing that and so we really um don't want to create that same environment um 
the hardest part though, like I have a lot of people come to the bakery uh, to do interviews and things like that. And they'll ask, you know, what's the mission of the program? And as soon as I use the word at risk, a lot of my trainees kind of look at me like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> they always like look at me like, what are you trying to say about me? <laughs> yeah. And I always have to kind of bring it back and be like, listen, uh, we're all at risk for something. I'm not like nobody's exempt from that, really. Like I grew up in a single parent home. I was at risk as well. I mean, that term is really broad. We're all in there. So, you know, don't take offense to that. Um, that's just the reality of the world we live in. Um, a lot of us are at risk for something. Um, and so that kind of brings it back home where I include myself um, in that. And so that kind of uh, doesn't really feel, um, you know, at first when they hear it, they're kind of like, okay, I'm being singled out. Um, but then I want to explain to them, they understand and like, okay, I get it. I get it. So that's, that's the hardest part. <laughs> yeah. Out of curiosity, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. Um, we like in, in my like uh, experience, you know, they kind of broke down both the words like at risk and versus using like underserved communities, because for example, a lot of it is not, um, especially when you're talking about the youth, like they have no fault in that. Like if you, you know, yeah, I yes. grew up in a single parent household as well. Like we, we, there would be no way of us changing that. And so a lot of the times mm -hmm. too, when we're talking about like resources, a lot of the times in our communities, especially, you know, black and brown communities, it's usually like the resources aren't getting to us, you know, and we're not being served as, uh, let's say like another community um, would be. The term underserved, uh, I've never used that for our community, I guess. Um, it's really true, but I've just never used that term for, for us here in the Virgins. We, we lack more resources, I think. Um, yeah. Because of where we live, you know, our demographic and where we are. Um, but it is true that we are underserved. Um, our resources are very low. And me coming up in the sport of boxing was hard. Um, we had to travel to fight and because our facilities here, we couldn't hold fights here. Uh, we, we were the only gym on island, uh, you know, things like that. We had to leave to get experience. Um, so we definitely are that. Um, but I guess it's like, a, I guess it's the outlook too. That's something that we really push on our, on our trainees as well as my trainers. Um, training my trainers is a big part of our job and um, what we train uh, to, to get to your point is that there really is no bad kid um, it's really things that are out of their control yeah you know and that that's that's the thing we want to teach the community because that's the, that's a tough thing in our community that um, teachers in school have to deal with uh, they you know I'll say this kid is this one this one kid is the bad one you know and really it's <laughs> If you look at the situation at home, you will more understand what's happening, you know. Um, and so that, that's something that we really push on our trainers is that uh, what they do does not define them. Uh, that's just a, a, a coming from the environment. That's just a part of the environment um, that can change, you know. Their mindset can change. And so that, that is huge uh, to let our trainers know as well as, as our kids. So what are some of the challenges that you see um, facing black and brown kids today? A lot. <laughs> oh, a I lot. guess what are the, maybe what are the top three challenges? Um, yeah, especially in your experience, like you guys are out there, you know? Yeah, no, I think that when we, when we talk about 
we talk about black people specifically and not to exclude anybody, but when we talk about black people specifically in America, um, identity is a huge issue, right? And so even when we look at just what's happening, um, just from a, from, a, from a social justice lens, um, and there's this conversation around why don't black communities riot or protest when violence happens in black communities. It's, it's, it's about a sense of identity. If we can identify with violence happening in our communities because we understand the conditions and the pressures that we've been placed under to create such a situation, then we understand that that is survival. However, when you look at it from a different lens, when you look at the person who's supposed to protect and serve you, murdering you, those two things don't add up. So when we look at, and, and again, I, I, I go back to identity because when we talk to a black boy who's, who's, who's selling drugs, his identity is that I got to take care of my family. His identity isn't that I'm caring about all the different people whose lives I may be ruining in the process. Mm. I'm surviving. I'm not necessarily thinking about all the other things that may happen after that. So identity is tied into so many different ills for our people, specifically black people in America. And the reason why I single it out is because when you take a black person from the Virgin Islands or you take a black person from Africa, there's traditions, right? That, 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 that are just, that exist. You take a, you take a brown person from South America, like there, there are traditions that exist. There's this tight knit, like, this is who I am. I'm, I'm prideful about that. And so um, identity is just is one of those things that we could have a much deeper conversation about. But I think that because of the shaking heads, I think that you guys understand me. So I won't harp on it much longer. Um, I also think that resources um, are a huge thing. You talked about resources, Julian, a moment ago, and just having a lacking of uh, or a lack of certain things um, that just don't exist in our communities. Um, or from an access standpoint, we don't know exists in our communities. Um, and then lastly, excuse me, I would just say that um, there's, there's a need for the presence of um, examples of love and compassion um, in our communities that oftentimes don't have the opportunity to thrive because we don't have um, an affinity toward them. And so right now we're starting to see within our generation this kind of change for people who are more loving, who are more compassionate. We, we talk about mental health with a different space um, or, or with a different, uh, I guess, a different emotional attachment to it. Um, and those are the three things that I think are, are most missing um, for, our, for our young people today is identity, resources, um, and just present examples of, of love um, that they can kind of, uh, what's the word that I want to use, that they can kind of- Emulate? Replicate, emulate, yeah, so. I agree. Um, my my top three uh, would be identity, of course, uh, self confidence, and also exposure. Um, those would be my my top three. Um, just to piggyback off of what Jay was saying, um, it's really um, it's it's it was easy for me coming up because of my upbringing uh, to identify what I'm capable of or and what I can do. Um, but in the in my trainees, I see that they just can't see it. Like they don't, they they almost feel like everything else is for everybody else, you know. Um, and they only know what is around them. They see it every day, and that's what they know. And they they are almost bound to that, um, and so their identity gets lost um, in that. Um, 
and then that goes into the exposure, right? Um, a lot of my kids, they just lack exposure. They just can't, they just haven't seen it. They haven't been exposed to it. Um, I think that's why I have such an impact on them is that they could see, they've seen me on TV. And so they're like, man, like, how, like how'd you do that? Like, <laughs> how'd you get there? And then I could actually tell them the stories, you know? And then they're like, wow, it's actually not that far of a reach. Exactly. Or some of them, I take some with me and I do caterings at, at villas and, and these big houses on island. Um, or I just even bring them to my house and they're like, wow, I've never been to this side of the island. I'm like, what? What do you mean? You never, I've never seen like this view. I'm like, what? You've never been wow. to Drake's seat? Never been to Drake's seat. You know, things like wow. that. And, and their, their view is so closed in. Um, they almost feel like they're not meant to be anywhere else. You know, they feel like they're not meant uh, to experience anything else because that's all they see. That's all they know. Um, and so given the exposure is huge. And also that the confidence, man, uh, just a, a, a lot of them just, just lack the self-confidence. They just won't try. They just won't try new things. You know, they just uh, have this kind of cage on themselves that they put um, maybe just from their environment, what they, they've grown up with, what they've seen. Um, a lot of them get told that they, they won't be anything, you know, a lot, and they, they, accept, they accept it. That's the biggest thing is that they accept it. They'll be like, yeah, I, I, I know. I know that. I know that I ain't going nowhere. Um, and that's the hardest thing to change. But it's not impossible, you know. And, and I've been seeing the light so much. Uh, I've learned so much about myself and just life um, handling uh, these trainees is that I've seen some of them come from some, some dark places. And now in the States and <laughs> holding a regular job, playing laser tag, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this kid used to sell drugs and beat people up just for fun. Now he's playing laser tag, you know? So I've seen it happen. Um, uh, and I think it's just our, our duty, just creating those lanes, you know, um, that they can be exposed and then they can actually see uh, the confidence building. They can see uh, what I saw on TV is not that hard to reach. Um, you know, things like that. I, I think that's important um, for us to you know, pass really, on. When you were talking about, um, and I think Jay and I laughed at the same time when he was talking about taking someone to the other side of the island and they're like, they never been. Because <laughs> in Baltimore, I feel like it's the same way. Like people mm -hmm. don't go over east or they don't go over west. Like they stay where they're at, let alone DC. Uh, that's like, you know, 45 minutes, but it's like another complete other worlds right. right and then just to give jay perspective too yeah. the island is only 13 miles long yeah yeah so could you imagine like living on this island it's already tight much yeah. less not traversing from one end to the other i mean you're really in a bubble there yeah so yeah but in knowing the challenges i'm sorry always jay, go yeah. ahead no i was just gonna say I, I agree like um one of the things that we were doing in terms of like research when we first started the office, the mayor's office of African-American male engagement was just the, the, this, this, like Baltimore is 82.2 like square miles, like all the way around. Like that's, that's minus the Harbor. Like that's not big at all. But like, like Joe said a moment ago, like you will grow up in East Baltimore. Like you will be 40 years old and have never traveled to anywhere in West Baltimore, except for Mondon Mall. And Jojo, you're like, laughing. 
Brittany, you know where Mondam and Mall is too. Mondam is like, yeah, yeah. Another irony of, of this situation when I talk, when you talk about exposure, Julius, like Mondam literally used to be one of the top five malls in America. Mm. Top five malls in wow. America. It sits in 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 the murder capital of the United States. Like, this is the dichotomy of being a black or a brown person in America, in the world, whatever it is. And so like, when you say exposure, um, like it, it, it's so important that we see things that are outside of our norm. Um, and Brittany, like I, I've never been to St. Thomas. My, my, um, my, my great aunt and my great uncle used to go to St. Thomas all the time. So it's like one of those things that are like, like on my list, like I have to go. So yeah. I'm looking forward to coming to see like St. Thomas, so. Oh yeah, I'll show you around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that gotta happen, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so in knowing the challenges that you know both communities face what are some of the programs or initiatives that your organizations have launched or are currently working on to address some of those challenges Jay, you can go. <laughs> oh, man thanks julius i appreciate it i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to give you the next one because you've given me every one <laughs> you've been you've been dropping so many gems i've just been like sitting here like all right what's he gonna say next <laughs> you both have been dropping gems. Honestly, when you said yes. identity, I don't want to like cut you off. But when you talked about identity, I was like, oh my God, Brittany and I just had this conversation actually. Right. Because yep. you hit it like right on the spot. We talk about this all the time. And just even when it comes to culture, that's exactly what we said. Like at the end of the day, brown, like especially like if you're Latino, like you lead with where you're from and it's the same thing in the Caribbean. It's like, well, I'm a Virgin Islander. Like they gonna let you know, you know, like I'm Salvadorian. And I just thought that that was so interesting because I do think that that's a huge issue, especially here in America, because it's an American made problem, you know, when it comes to like identity. Yeah, I mean, if I'm 100% honest, you know, and I'm telling on myself here, I really believe that once people of color really kind of understand that the system of America was never really set up for any person of color to win. Um, and that ultimately together, we have built the world in such a way um, that if we were for whatever reason to pool our resources, our ideas and, and our excellence, um, you know, with our divine purpose, I mean, the world would just be a much better place. And I, and I, I say that impartially, like I, I mean it exactly as I'm saying it, it's no disrespect to anybody else, but people of color have contributed so much that we just don't get credit for. And we continue to exist in a world um, under a white patriarchal um, establishment that really, I think is, is really, really hell bent on assuring that we never actualize that fact. One of the things that I mentioned earlier was the We Are Us movement, which was launched out of our office. And we actually, it shifted to the community. Um, it's actually an organization, excuse me, which now has a commitment of over 2000 black men, brown men, uh, white men, uh, Asian men, it is, it is a mixture, but literally, um, and Jojo, you may have seen this on the news, you have two or 300 men mm -hmm. walking through a community um, and giving out resources, and it doesn't matter what age, it doesn't matter what sex, it doesn't matter, you know, wh what your sexual orientation is. If we find you in a space where we are, we're going to help you. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud of. Um, that started in, in, in an office with four people, myself, Dr. Andre Bunley, Captain Andrew Knox, and Candace Bennett Parker, but it's now grown 
to be a 501c3 that exists outside of the mayor's office, inside of the mayor's office. Um, we're currently running a, a program uh, for young people who squeegee. Um, we had an amazing program over the summer with about 30 young people. We retained about 24, 25 of those young people, which is pretty amazing in terms of retention for any sort of program um, where we did manhood development and job readiness. Through that program, we were able to bring in community partners to do the manhood development, mental health, um, culture and creativity, um, you know, just the, just the dynamics of life in totality, um, and then connect them to some, some job opportunities. Actually, I have a walkthrough um, for a warehouse job starting at $16 an hour for some young people. So if anybody in Baltimore is watching this, um, when you see my contact information below, yes, uh, we definitely want to connect oh. jobs. But what were you going to say? No, we'll like, post wow, it. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah, we'll definitely share that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in addition to that, a lot of what I do is really kind of lifting up other people who are doing work in the community. So like Keys Development is an amazing mental health organization. Um, Tendaya Family is an amazing community-based organization that's in the um, Greenmount area that does, um, they're, they're more of an association. So they do family, um, family workouts, family reading time. They teach about black and brown leaders. Um, and and it's, it's amazing. Um, there are a couple other organizations that I could name, but that's what, really what we do. We lift up the organizations who are doing the work um, and we bring them in so that people can be introduced to them and they can help to change the lives of black and brown boys um, in Baltimore. So for My Brother's Workshop, um, it was founded in 2015 by my good friend, Scott Bradley. And uh, it first started out as just, um, he was just in his garage. He saw some guys hanging out in Garden Street on the corner and asked them if they uh, you know, wanted to learn something and get paid for it. And of course, everybody's like, yeah, heck yeah, we'll come you know, learn and get paid. So that's how it started. And um, the church he was going to encouraged him to grow it. Um, they would give him materials, uh, give him money, and it would grow and grow. And then he started building a team until they finally created an actual workshop. And they would take about uh, 12 to 15 young men um, and as that kept growing, he got more people on board the train. And so they would accept more young men. Um, years passed and uh, he started to notice a lot of young women in the community really getting involved in drugs and gangs and fighting. I don't know if Brittany, you remember our school days, um, but we used to start seeing more oh, yeah. girl fights than guy fights. <laughs> yep. Uh, that, there was kind of like a shift there. And uh, he decided, you know, I, I want to be able to reach uh, these females as well. And that's when the cafe uh, was, was born. Um, the cafe came after the workshop. Uh, and that was trying to reach more young women. But ironically, we have more men than women in that program currently. Um, then also, uh, the dropout rate was really high in our community as well. Um, so we decided to uh, bring in a program where uh, kids can get their actual high school diploma um, online, um, not a not a GD. They can get their high school diploma online. So we brought that in as well. Um, you know, our poverty levels are really high here as well in the Virgins. So um, in order to uh, keep our, our kids coming and interested, uh, we are paying them. We pay them to learn. Uh, we pay them first a stipend. Um, once they pass the 90 days and stay consistent, then we, we pay the minimum wage to uh, be a part of the program. Um, and so we, we are trying to attack those, those areas, just um, you know, poverty, because 
a lot of these guys are on the street because they're surviving. You know, a lot of them uh, have to just keep money coming in to survive. And so we want to be able to help them to just focus on learning by giving them that, that stipend. So um, those are the little areas we're trying to help in that way. How many young people are employed right now in your uh, cafe? In, in the program? In the cafe. Yeah, in the program. Uh, at the cafe itself, there's about 11 right now. Um, and in the workshop and at the, the school, we have maybe another 20. So about 31 uh, total. Um, but that number changes very frequently. Um, and Julius, is there a workshop awesome. on St. Croix as well? Yes. Oh, I almost forgot. Yeah, we also have a workshop on St. Croix. Um, they ha they're smaller. Uh, they're still growing. It's, it's fairly new. Um, but they have about seven, seven guys over there on St. That's Croix. awesome. Yeah, just for the listening yeah. audience, the Virgin Islands is made up of um, four islands, St. Thomas, St. John, St. Croix, and Water Island. I've been to um, all four. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> oh, you have? <laughs> she has. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Um, I did uh, fail to mention, too, though, um, we also launched uh, two programs during two um, national disasters. One was the hurricanes. Um, mm -hmm. We did a, a meal program. Uh, we were doing free meals for the community for about three months. Um, we did about 37,000 meals right out the bakery during that time. Um, and that was an awesome experience. Uh, so many people came and volunteered. Um, some of our trainees didn't even have a house to go home to, but they came and worked and, and helped feed the community. And that was a great, great time of bonding. A hard time, but a great time of bonding. Um, and then also now uh, during the pandemic, um, we kind of did the same thing, a little more safe and <laughs> uh, not as much people in the cafe, but uh, we were able to feed the community again for free. Um, those elderly and those who couldn't um, leave their, their homes who are immune compromised, uh, we did a delivery program for them. We did close to about the same amount of meals as well, 37,000 meals uh, for them as well. So um, when the community is in need of food, we, we also launch programs to help with that also. That's awesome. Well, speaking about with like the pandemic and everything, Jay, I know you post a lot too with like different like um, food drives and how has that all changed? And even with your office, like how have you guys like adapted to this like new reality that we're living in? Yeah, so like uh, our executive director was actually uh, Ms. Tisha Edwards, who's the executive director of the Mayor's Office of Children and Family Success, was tasked with um, leading food operations for the city. So our office ran several food operations for the city of Baltimore, the biggest one being World Central Kitchen. Um, which was like a, a drive-through. Julia, she's shaking your head. I imagine that you know about World Central Kitchen. Have they been yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, they also helped us <laughs> with, uh, with our food for COVID as well. So yeah, doing great work, man. They, they, they try to make sure that restaurants survive through, you know, natural disasters because they understand that food insecurity is just a huge, you know, huge thing, particularly, particularly to underserved communities. Um, so uh, we worked with them. Then we worked through the federal, um, the federal housing sites um, to do that stuff as well. And then we are, us did some, we, we, we did like over 200,000 pounds of food um, in the community over the course of um, the pandemic. Um, and we're still actually doing food distribution um, pop-ups like every once in a while now. Um, how has it changed 
landscape of what's happening, it, it's interesting because people, and, and I talked about the human part earlier, people don't just want food. They want food that they want to eat. And so if anything that I've realized is that, um, you know, we just, we have to do a better job of actually looking at human beings as human beings. And I think that it's given us a perspective that's been very, very helpful. So instead of just trying to figure out how we could put bag lunches together, which was kind of like the, the and, and no, not to the federal government, they have to do what they have to do. Um, we, we really were trying to figure out how can we get, you know, produce, fresh produce, fresh meats, all those things to people. And just really understanding that there's just such a great need um, mm-hmm. in our communities for that. Um, and so we're, we're kind of continuing that effort specifically through the We Are Us movement um, but even as it relates to the mayor's office, just knowing that um, our mayor, our current mayor, Jack Young, um, does really care for our city and wants to make sure that people have what it is that they need, whether it's recreation centers being open uh, for learning hours right now during the pandemic, because there's this mixture between virtual learning and in-person learning happening over, all over the country. Um, Baltimore City Public Schools is virtual, but we know that there are still some people who, you know, they don't have technology in their homes that allows them to jump on to learn. So, I mean, I know we talked about food, but there are so many different things that the pandemic has affected. And so we're just trying to um, navigate all of those things. And I'm grateful for, you know, our leadership that's making that stuff happen. Awesome. That's impressive. Yeah. And, um, you know, in my experience, when I was living in Baltimore, I had volunteered at the House of Ruth. I hope it, I hope it's, is it still in operation? It is definitely still in operation. It's still doing oh, wonderful. such an amazing I'm, organization. I'm happy to hear that. But yeah, I, I used to volunteer there. And then when I moved back home, I had worked for a local nonprofit. And in working in disenfranchised communities, I realized that the people that we were serving don't necessarily have the means or um, have accessibility. So we had to meet them where they were, you know, bring the resources to them. Um, how are you guys relating to the people in those communities? And then how are you staying connected with them? One of the things that you just mentioned was a learning experience for us, right? Like the first experience was people want to eat food that they want to (laughs) eat. The second experience was when you think about underserved communities or disenfranchised communities, everybody doesn't have a car. If we're talking about social distancing and we're talking about not putting people in the same space who may have, like you, you, Julius, you mentioned a moment ago about people who have compromised immune systems. Like these are so many different things that we just never thought about in terms of how we serve people. And so there are all of these different nuances that have arised in terms of how we service everyone, um, even as we're talking about school now. But we've just been making adjustments and trying to be exactly where people are, as you said a moment ago, is just the best strategy. Where are they? Um, what are they asking for? And then can we deliver exactly what it is that they're asking for? My director says all the time, if you want to be successful at something, um, it's pretty hard for somebody to turn down exactly what they ask you for. So give people what they ask for and you should see success in what it is that you're trying to do. So that's been um, a big part of our strategy. Well said, we're going to yeah. have to quote that. <laughs> we're going to have to quote that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good Dr. Andre's <laughs> level, quote Dr. Andre's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, that that's kind of how we've been been handling that. Um, uh, you know, our kids uh, need to get to the cafe, and they they uh, have to learn how to uh, communicate. Communication that would that would be my fourth on my list is communication. Yeah. Um, for some reason, just communication uh, skills are hard. Um, 
when it comes to to our disenfranchised youth. But um, uh, teaching them to do that and making them, you know, if they're going to be late, they got to let me know. They got to tell me. Or if they're, they're coming and they're almost there in like five minutes out, usually they won't say. Um, and I have to be like, look, you got to tell me. Um, even though they have to get to us, um, it's usually easy. Uh, we won't we won't bring someone into the program who can't make it to us because then we're just setting them up to fail, you know. Um, so uh, we have they have to go through an interview process where um, we know that they're able to do that. Um, secondly, uh, to stay connected to them. So our our trainees graduate our program. They're not in our program forever, and um, a lot of them would leave island, but there are some that won't. Um, and when they don't, uh, I personally um, take my time where I can um, and personally give my time just because it's a passion of mine, you know, uh, especially giving the exposure to them. Like, it's, I'm just really passionate about that. So I would take some of them. A lot of them say they want to rap, right? But never been in the studio. So I'm like, you want to rap, but you never been in the studio? Nah, I, I never. Uh, they'll let me hear one of their songs. I said, "How'd you record that?" I did on my phone. I said, "All right, well, let's go to the studio. I'll pay for the time. Let's go." <laughs> you know, um, things like that. Just where I can. Um, our program itself, though, um, the kids have access to our office anytime, whenever they need um, to talk about interviewing or how to put their resume together. Um, whatever issues they have. Um, we have a counselor on board, her name is Ms. Stewart, she's awesome. Um, and they can call her at any time to talk about anything. And um, yeah, and I, I take a lot of them with me on my jobs. I would hire them to do caterings and things with me. <laughs> it makes my job a little harder because I gotta watch them. <laughs> but but um, uh, I know that it's gonna benefit them, uh, you know, hugely. So I, I take on that stress just because I know that um, it's gonna be great for them in the long run. Um, and so that's how I try to stay connected to them uh, outside of the program and outside of the bakery. That's awesome. And I think just, you know, for everyone like listening and stuff, it's, it's nice to hear too, because I think it's a nice reminder, like you have to meet people where they are, you know, and not assume anything. Um, but even to that, you know, what, so for anyone that's like listening and, you know, during this time right now too, where we could, we need all hands on deck when you're talking about um, serving the community and particularly when it comes to actually serving the black youth, you know, with everything going on, you know, just for anyone listening, what things or what advice would you give people that want to serve? Cause there's always like well-intentioned individuals but when you're dealing and when you're, you know, serving these communities, it's different. Like, how can they, what, are, what is some advice? What is something that you can tell them of like how to better serve youth right now in the times that we're living in? Yeah. So my advice, um, you know, not everybody's going to do what, you know, like what me and Jay are doing or what organizations like, like ours are doing. Um, but I feel like, uh, it's important that we remember how I'm really old school, by the way, I don't know if anybody knows that, but I'm super old school. Like I, I like, I would rather the, the world be in like caveman days <laughs> than be careful, be careful. <laughs> right. Hey, right. This is, this is real talk, right? Look, so, so basically you wouldn't be on this podcast because no, if we lived no. back then, I'd be out hunting and getting some fish. And, um, 
you know, the wife would be gardening and planting some some kennips and stuff like I'm that. I'm gonna tell Nicole this. <laughs> yeah, she knows. Oh, she knows. She knows. Um, but going back to those days, right? How we looked out for each other and how communities uh, grew is by passing things on to each other, um, teaching. You know, um, I think we've really gotten away from that. Um, our kids make 18, and then we want to just kick them out the door. Uh, you know, and me coming up, my dad would not talk to me about women. You know, like he was like, nah, you, I ain't talking to you about women. And I think it was part of because of his experience as a, as a famous boxer, he did not have great interactions with women all the time, you know? And so he kind of shunned away from that. Um, and so I kind of had to learn myself, you know, th things like that. And I see that in a, in a lot of youths coming up is that they don't, people aren't taking the time to really pass things on to them. Um, and so I would just encourage people to just do what you can, where you can with the people that are close to you, because that's who's going to listen to you more. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are the people that are going to hear you. The ones that are close to you, the, your neighbor's kids or your, your neighbor or your, your, the people that you're around, who you see at work every day. Um, mm -hmm. Those are who's going to have an ear. Um, too many times we like to see somebody doing something silly and then just yell at them. and Be like, yo, what are you doing? You crazy or uh, they're not really hearing you, you know, they're, you're not really going to get anything there. Um, but I just think, you know, just do what you can, what you can, where you can, you know, I'm able to um, take these guys that I meet because of the program. And um, I have the money that I can take them to the studio, take them on jobs with me, pay them something that they didn't even deserve to get paid. But I know what it's going to do for them. You know, I can, I have the ability to do that. Um, and I think we all can do something in, in the area of, passing something on even if it's just kindness even if it's just you know come to the store with me pick something you want let's just go to the store and talk you know things like that um, i think that's the the strongest way to get back um, and and then that person could affect three more people and then that those three people will affect nine more people you know um, i think that's the the root the crown roots way of, of really giving back to the community man that was that was that was so good. Um, I, I, I think about one of the things that I think is probably most difficult for us to do oftentimes, um, but listening is so important. Um, I feel like when we, when we desire within our hearts to help people, we've already pre-established, like, this is exactly what I want to do. I know exactly what they're going to need. Unless someone has communicated to you, like, and I mean communicated effectively. What, is it they, what it is that they need? Like, you gotta bring your ability to listen and you gotta bring compassion for whatever may happen, whatever thing, like, like you gotta know your bias. You gotta, you gotta be prepared to potentially be offended. Like, you gotta come with your most humble self to that, to that space, right? And that requires listening and listening doesn't mean I am taking everything and fitting it into the lens or to the context, like from, from myself, like, no, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. I'm trying to put myself in your face. Like I'm trying to understand you completely. And if I do that, then I'm doing more listening than I am telling you what it is that I want to do for you. I got to go with no notion of what it is that I want to do for you. I just know that I want to show up. I want to listen to you and I want to hear you tell me exactly what it is that you need because every person is different in that space. Each space is different, each community is different. 
And while you said like there's, there's 13 miles or I apologize, like there's four islands, like the, whatever the stretch is, each of those places are different. And so we gotta be able to, to listen. Uh, we gotta be able to take compassion, humility, uh, the ability to be offended without you know causing offense with us. And I think the other part is that most oftentimes, um, those of us who are, are, are eager um, to serve, like we gotta be prepared for whatever it takes. Like it, it's not just a, I'm gonna go this time kind of thing. Or I have spare time on my hands to go. Like if it's a spare time moment, like I need a couple of hands, that's fine. But if you're going, and, and Julius, you mentioned earlier about relationships, if you really have the intention on changing somebody's life, like you have to build a relationship. You have to do it over and over again. Um, and I'm gonna give another Dr. Bunley quote. Dr. Bunley talks about 10X behavior. When everybody else is ready to do it one time and be done with it, we're ready to do it nine more times. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes the experience different. I got to be willing to go the distance. I got to be willing to like wade through whatever is, is, is in that water to make it to, you know, the other side. So like for me, it's listening and being prepared to do it nine more times after everybody else is done on the first one. Because that's, that's, what, that's what's going to move the needle forward. It isn't just how can I show up one time, take a selfie and say I did it. Like, no, like you, you got to have commitment. And if you don't have a commitment, sometimes it's worse for you to come uh, because the community is like, here's another person coming in, isn't going to come back. They took their selfie. They wanted to interview me. And that's really it. So we got to be consistent. That's so huge, bro. Like, like that's huge. Um, I, I want to just piggyback off of that. Um, uh, it's a little emotional for me because, you know, I've lost some of the, my kids in the program, you know, to, to gun violence and things like that. And it really hurt me. Um, one of the things that really hurt me too is some of my kids would actually steal from me as well. Um, they've st st stolen money and things like that, uh, the cash register and things like that. Um, that hurt as well, but I know where it's coming from. You know, I know the space is coming from. And I would tell them, listen, you did that, whatever, you got to pay the money back, you know, um, but I'm still here for you, regardless, you did that. And they kind of look at me like, what, really? Like, yeah, yeah. And so one of my kids, he, um, he ended up getting arrested. And so he's now in jail. And I told him that because he was one of the kids that were stealing. And uh, he now is arrested for stealing. <laughs> I'm like, bro, come on, man, you can't be this silly. Yep. But um, he is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he's, he's in juvie now and somehow he got a phone and every, every once in a while he'll message me on messenger and just say, yo, what's up? You know, I'm like, how the heck do you get up on messenger? But, oh, anyways, I would always answer and say, yo, what's up? And he would never respond. And I think he was checking. I think he was checking to see if I still got it. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> Uh, the other day, he messaged me and said, look, yo, this is, this is uh, so-and-so. I was like, yeah, what's up? I was like, now you got a phone number? Like, what is happening? Uh, but anyways, yeah, what's good? How are you holding up? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I need a favor, though. I need, I need like 30 bucks. And I was going to ask him for what, but I decided I'm not going to do that. I want to keep the relationship strong, and I'm just going to say, I got you. You know, I got you. Um, and then maybe three days later, he hit me up again and say, yo, I need 10 bucks. 
and I was going to ask him for what, but I didn't need to because he was like, I need to get toothpaste and shampoo. <laughs> he automatically said it. Yeah. And I could tell now he's trusting me. He, mm-hmm. he believes me when I said, I'm going to be there for you, bro. Just hit me. I got you. Um, and that's that consistency that you're talking about, right? 10 times. Um, if, if I said that, I need to prove that over and over again, not just one time. Um, he needs to see that over and over again. And so I send him the 10. I said, yeah, I got you. And I think uh, because of that, things in his mind change. Um, his perception of the world start to change. And I think that's something we need to realize too, is that the effect that we have on people does not just affect their interactions with us, but it, it affects their interactions with their community, with those around them. And that, that's a huge thing that we, we have to always remember. What, what you just said, I know we probably got to move, but what you just said is, is, is so huge um, because we are the sum of our experiences. Mm-hmm. And who we show up as is really no more than that. We can't show up as anything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, selfish plug, but like my, my, my book, I Am Love, really talks about um, unresolved trauma and how unresolved trauma drives who we are. That's big. big. We're either love or fear. Like, that's it. If I, if I love helping people, I'm going to do it. If I fear helping people, I'm going to stay as far away from them as possible. If I love having money, I might do whatever it takes to get it. You know what I mean? Like if I love my family, I might do whatever it takes to show my family that I love them. But like, if I'm fearful of all of that stuff, I'm going to break it down. I'm not going to do it. And so what you're showing him is a representation of love. And you also know this, and I, I go through this with the youth who squeegee, it's like, love is not always money. Love is not always me doing what you're asking me to do. Sometimes love is me doing the exact opposite. <laughs> I'm not Facts. giving you any money. <laughs> so I know that when you talk about that emotional space that you're, you're in, and one, I love the fact that you said it and you admitted it because as men, particularly as black men, black brown men, we have to do that. Like we have to show that that stuff is, is real for us. Um, but I just want to, I just want to thank you, man, for what you're doing, because you are changing his life. And that time is going to come where you're going to have to tell him no. You're going to have to explain to him why you're telling him no. And I just pray, like I'm fiercely praying internally right now that he gets it because we can sometimes in this space of service be used. And then that, that kind of clogs up that space that we have for other people. So I just want to say thank you one for what you're doing, because it's amazing. Um, and I just pray that he receives it like, you know, in the right spirit, because he needs to understand that that's love. That's, that's, right. that's not anything else. And so right. that's, that's huge. Yeah, that's, I appreciate yeah. that. That's amazing. I um I, I feel like now, especially, like, I don't know what happened. Well, I know what happened in the past two years. I'm like, every time someone says, like, uh, it's emotional, I feel like the tears. I don't even know what you're about to say. And I'm like, at the edge of my seat, like, oh, my God. But that story just touched my heart so much, too, because, you know, when we look at, so I have a cousin who's more like a brother to me, and um, he's currently incarcerated. He is um, serving time, and, you know, hopefully... I'm talking it into existence. Hopefully the Innocence Project, you know, takes on his case um, sometime soon for wrongful conviction. But, you know, as of right now, when, when we talk about like how people end up where they end up, like we just, sometimes it's like that they didn't have a Julius, a Jay, they didn't have whatever it is that showed them. And it's like the moment that someone shows you that, I promise you, like he'll never forget that. 
especially in the moment that he's in right now with it just being probably having no one around. And I think especially when it comes to Juvie, they're so young and it's like, I wish there were other ways. Again, we talk about the system, right? And the system is meant for that. It's meant to kind of put you back into- Oh, that's a whole other podcast. Definitely. When we talk about that stuff, it's like, this world, you know, we just need to show more compassion and more love and just understanding to one another because that's what makes that's what makes the difference. You know, I'm, I'm also a firm believer in that. I'll be here. I'll be, you know, I'll listen to you because a lot of the times, Jay, this goes back to what you were saying. Yo, to right. sit down and for you to listen to me, that's like valuable. Most definitely. And I want to thank you both for being super vulnerable um, within this space because it is the listeners that are tuned in. They are really going to be impacted and, and be, you know, inspired by you both. So I just want to say thank you um, before we get close to the end. Um, I know in this field, you know, in being a community advocate, there's a lot of fatigue. You know, I mean, you guys are, are fully committed and dedicated to what you do. And with that, there's fatigue, but there are some positives. So what are some feel-good stories that you guys can share with us that, um, like some successes or maybe some of your favorite stories that kind of serve as a reminder, like, yes, this, this is my purpose and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Go ahead, Julius. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, I guess there, there's two um, that come to mind at this moment. Um, uh, I have a kid. Um, he was in the program. Uh, when the bakery started, I was not the manager. I came in about a year and a half after it was founded. Um, but this kid was was at the bakery and got kicked out. Uh, he was not following rules. He didn't want to do any work. Uh, he got kicked out and they, they put him to the workshop. He was doing pretty good up there, but he really wanted to cook. Um, when I became manager, uh, and I was working there for a while. Uh, he kind of went missing and they came back and they interviewed him and said, you know, what do you want to do? He said, I want to cook. So they put him at the bakery. And this was right before the storms happened. And so he worked with us through the storms and uh, after the storms and he got really good. Um, I, uh, sorry, getting a little emotional again. But when the storms hit, so he worked with us for a little while. When the storms hit, uh, he got lost, really. Um, his dad, where they were living, got really messed up. And they had to leave because it was leaking everywhere. Uh, and he was just on the street. Um, he had a drug abuse problem before. So while he was on the street, he just fell right back into it. And we couldn't find him. We, we didn't know where he was um, until uh, Ms. Stewart, our, our counselor, found him on the side of the road and he was like yo what's going on he's like well i have nowhere to live uh, you know so she picked him up we found him somewhere to live um his dad would not uh take him uh, his dad didn't think he was uh he was able to couldn't handle him you know um so then uh with the storms you know everywhere was pretty messed up um so we put him in a a shelter, a homeless shelter. I dropped him, picked him up, got his clothes from his dad's house, took him to the shelter. And uh, I had to put him in this room with this elderly guy. And it, that was one of the hardest things I had to do. And I could see on his face that he felt so hopeless. 
like, wow, I'm in a shelter. And I had to tell him, listen, this is just for a time, bro. We'll be all right. We're going to be all right. So he would come to, come to work, go back to the shelter, come up, go back to shelter. Um, we finally was able to get into a hotel. There was a hotel, a Belonga hotel. They were taking in residents um, uh, because of the storm, you know, they were helping. And so uh, I called the owner and they know me from who I am, you know, being who I am. And I was like, listen, I need, I need a room. <laughs> like, get me a room, whatever it's gonna take, get me a room. Got him in there. I would come home and steal DVDs from my wife. And I was like, what are you doing with these DVDs? I'm taking them, I'm taking, <laughs> taking some DVDs over to him. Um, uh, and I did that because he wanted to, to get out of it. You know, he, he wanted out, he wanted to grow. He wanted to be better. Um, and he stopped using drugs, uh, after the storms and, uh, we got him into school. He was like, yeah, I want to go to school. I want to go to college school. Want to college school. He's now, uh, he's working at Applebee's or somewhere like that. Um, has his own apartment, getting a car, uh, playing laser tag. He's the kid I mentioned, he's playing laser tag. He never played any kind of games like that ever before um, and doing very well for himself. Um, and that is huge. Uh, that's one of the stories that has been super dear to me. Um, every time I think about him, it, it's just a lovely feeling inside I get. Um, secondly, uh, I got a, a kid right now he uh, just recently graduated our program and started working uh, for a family friend. She opened a restaurant. And so he wants to cook. This is something he really wants to do. Uh, started working with her. I would go in and check. Me and my wife would go get lunch there. Um, and I would ask, I would ask uh, the owner, you know, how's he doing? She'd be like, you know, he's coming to come. You know, he's all right. I was like, yeah, he's still got some work to do. But then she ended up laying him off, uh, the pandemic, you know, um, not doing enough business so she had to lay him off uh, and I thought that was really gonna send him you know down you know he uh, is really involved with the streets his family his family is in the streets so he knows the streets uh, he lives in a, a studio apartment with his mom and when his mom's boyfriend comes over he has to sleep on the porch so I already know he's not gonna be happy at home uh, so I'm, I'm expecting something bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just gonna really just turn him down. But he calls me and like, yo, I need to find something. <laughs> you know, he's like, no, I, I cannot be idle. I need to find something. He finally finds something on his own, doing some plumbing with a guy in the neighborhood. Um, and then I started getting some more catering jobs. I was like, yo, come, let's go cook. Let's go do this. Um, now I do a weekly uh, show on Fridays. I have him as my sous chef. And uh, we've been doing it for maybe a month now, a month and a half. Um, and now he got a job at a gas station. So he's working at a gas station. He's doing double work. <laughs> but I told him the other day, don't be tired, too tired to come to <laughs> be my sous chef. He's like, no, no, I got you. <laughs> um, but the other day I was dropping him home and he said, you know, I almost, I almost went back. I almost went back to just being lazy. He calls it being lazy, but it's really just being on the street, you know? And he said, but hanging with you, um, I know that I can't, like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing that. I need to, like, I need to stay active. Mm -hmm. So he's, he told me, thank you. And that was like, what? 
<laughs> he just said, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. like that was like out the door for me. Uh, I was like, you know, I appreciate you sharing those feelings with me. And not a lot of people mm-hmm. do that. And I appreciate that. And that, that, that would be my number two story that really sticks out. Yeah. Wow. I just want to say too, like aside from that story, but um, for our listeners too, you were mentioning the hurricanes. And I think that, you know, that's something for, I, I think I, I know because St. Thomas holds a very special place in my heart and just being more aware of like what's going on in the Caribbean. But I love that story too, because I feel like a lot more people need to understand and you guys are a U.S. territory, like you guys are American, you know, this is an issue that affects us as, you know, and so I hope that, you know, with this show and with people listening as well, like, this is real life. This is the same way that when something happens in Houston, you know, or in New Orleans, like, this is, this is, this is a lot. And like, you know, we can be, um, and maybe at the end of the show, you know, you guys can say your respective organization, how people can get, whether donate or get involved. Um, Because it does make a difference like that, that story that you just shared. I mean, it's like, um, both of them are at a crossroads, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what is the deciding factor of how that, like how your life ends up. And, and, and that's, that's for a lot of us, like, you know, having those people. Um, so I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and just, you know, um, and you being aware too of, of, of your influence, you know, because yeah, yeah. that with that comes great responsibility. So um, I think, by far um one of my one of the things that sticks out to me the most is definitely the the we are us movement i just remember sitting eight by eight uh, with four people and um as i call it scribbling on paper um and in in building something that now has over two thousand people committed to it and i believe will you know live forever that's helped over 180 people get jobs and all that like that is something that you could you couldn't fathom like you just don't imagine starting something like that. And as it's growing now and it's a 501c3 and people are looking to donate, that's, that's one thing, right? Like that's, that's legacy stuff. Um, but when you talk about what makes me very much feel like I'm doing exactly what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, there are, I'll, I'll do two uh, because you did two. And one is very, very short. I remember I did a tour of Louisiana's um, Office of Juvenile Justice Facilities and I would speak to the young men who were incarcerated there. Um, and I walked into um, one and as I do every time I go to speak to young people like that, I, that I can, like I'll do, like I'll shake everybody's hand, I'll personally introduce myself. I know with the pandemic it's a little bit different, um, but I'll shake everybody's hand, you know, hey, I'm Jay, what's your name, blah, blah, blah. And I, 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 I'm in one particular facility um in baton rouge and the guy's like man f you you don't know me something 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 blood he started throwing up signs and all of the dudes around him are dying laughing they're cracking up like oh man he he he." like so i'm 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 looking and i said said you done and he said man f you so i i I went to the dude next to him and i tried to shake his hand he was like nah man i'm good and i said oh i see you're gonna be a clown today and he was like, yo, what you mean? I said, no, nah, no, nah, no disrespect. I said, but have I ever met your mother? He said, no. Is, is I, have I ever disrespected her? He said, no. I said, well, I don't understand why I'm getting all this disrespect. I said, listen. I said, I just came here to build with y'all real quick. I said, man, I just want to give y'all some gems. And that's it. I want to get out y'all head. I said, y'all going to be here with me regardless. So we can either get to know each other or we can just go ahead. And so 
the next dude shook my hand. I, I went on ahead. And, and at this time, there's maybe like 300 people in this space. Like we're in a gym, like 300 kids, right? So I, I, I talk to them, let them know where I'm from. As soon as I say I'm from Baltimore, you know, all of the questions about the wire happen and is it real and all of that stuff. And so we, we get into all of that. And by the end of the conversation, I get to my closing. And the thing that I say every time before I, I close is I, I tell people that I love you. And I say, I, I love you because someone loved me when I, when, I, when I didn't know what it meant to be loved. It wasn't my dad. It wasn't my mom. It was somebody who just knew that I needed it and they gave it. And so for anybody who's here who needs to hear it, I love you. And my presence here is love. So I, I go through this thing. And as they're leaving, everybody's, you know, dapping me up. I'm giving people my phone number, the address to write me. And so the young man's lingering, like, in the back of the line. He's just, he's just, he's just there. And as everybody else is leaving, he's walking up, and he has his head down, and he's, he walks up, and he says, yeah, bro, I just want um, I just want to apologize. You know, I didn't really know who you was, and, you know, you know, I didn't mean to be disrespectful, da 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 And I'm like, bro, you good. And he's like, man, nah, man. I said, look. You don't, you, you don't have to do all of that. You good. We good? He said, yeah. And so then he starts to cry. He falls in my arms like a, like a toddler. And I mean, this, this kid was like 20. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm holding and all the guards are like, no, nah, you can't do that. I'm like, listen, y'all got to chill. Because whatever he's getting out the moment, like, it's, it's what he getting out. So mm-hmm. he tells me that no one had ever told him that they loved him before. Hmm. Oh my god. Tell you guys, like we both just started crying. Like we just, we just mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the guards started crying. Everybody's just sitting yeah. there in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it was for me the divine moment that I knew I was doing exactly what it was that I was supposed to be doing. Like it was it was no question in my mind. Um so we stayed in contact. He he, he got out of got out of juvie. Um he wound up getting a job. He had a baby on the way while he was in there. Him and the girl got together. They got a place. He got like, he, he was doing great. So I haven't talked to him probably in about three years, but the last time I talked to him, he was working two jobs. He was really good. And so my prayer is that he's still there, but the number that he had changed. So I don't know. Um, but the second story for me is a young lady named Mia and she may watch this, uh, but Mia used to terrorize a school called W.E.B. Du Bois. And she used to mess with a guy who everybody was scared of because he was like gang affiliated and they tried to kick him out of the school. But they, they told him, if you kick me out of school and come in here, they shoot the whole thing up. So they never kicked him out, right? So I told him, I said, y'all trying to kick out a kid who wants to come here. Y'all, y'all fighting for kids to come to school? I was like, y'all better let that boy alone. Like, we'll figure it out. As I'm working with the two of them, I build a relationship with them. But Mia, more specifically, because like I, I generally like when you're working with young men, like you leave young women to women. Like you you just you just you just you don't try to blur that line, you try to put them where they are. And so um she just was innately drawn to me. And so while I made sure that there was a buffer, I made sure that you know my girlfriend at the time who was staying with me was there as a buffer, she was always present. We just built such a bond that she looked at me as like her dad. And so at one point she actually wound up living with me and my girlfriend. And so just really being able to, you know, take care of her. And I mean, Mia was a mess. Grades all over the place, fighting everybody. Nobody, like just getting kicked out of class consistently. They were calling me instead of calling her mom up to the school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) So 
Um, at some point, you know, we had a falling out because of something that she fibbed about that I felt like was just kind of like, you know, no return kind of space. But, you know, Julius, as you know, we, we got to have that space of consistency, that space where we always have an open heart. And so she came back um, and she had told me that she was pregnant and that she wanted me you know, to be in her child's life. And I was like, cool. Like, if you say, like, I'm the only father that you've ever known, I'm like, you know, that's cool. So when we meet back up, she's working two jobs. She's in college. Um, I mean, you're talking about somebody who was like CD student. I mean, like in college, two jobs bought a house wow. with a guy who's about to get married. I mean, like, and wow. she we were talking one day and she was like, you know, this wouldn't have happened without you. And it was one of those things. And you know, I always try to push it back, Julius, you know mm. this, you gotta get back to them. Like, nah, you did the work, you did the work. Mm -hmm. and she was like, no. <laughs> you made the choice. Yeah. Oh, you, it's all like, you. <laughs> she was like, no, like, you gotta understand, like, this wouldn't have happened without you. Like I would have been dead. Like she was like, I, and she was like, every time I was in a bad space where I was doing something that I wasn't supposed to do, like all I could do was think about you and how disappointed you would be in me. Or if I did something good, like all I could think about was how proud of me you'd be. And so it was just amazing. It's, it's amazing the impact that you have on people. Like you just don't know good or bad. And so even when I was talking about earlier, just showing up in a space of compassion and just, Man, I, my, my mom talks about being prepared to be offended before the offense ever occurs and being prepared with an apology, like not with an apology, but with an accepted apology that you may never get. Like, take the apology for the offense that may never come. And so I live my life in that way. And as I begin to do it more often, just God just continues to reveal to me that if we stay in a space of humility and compassion, that we'll see our purpose in every person that we meet. And that's where I live my life now. Every person, one experience at a time, one moment at a time continues to affirm for me why um, I do what I do because there's nothing else like it. And all of the reports that I have to write, all the programs that I have to make, if I didn't do any of that, and I just went and found people who were underserved or lost and just could help them get to where they were going. I would just do that. Like that would be it. Thanks. That's beautiful. Oh my wow. gosh. Wow. It's amazing. I gotta take a breath. My heart. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, what came to mind when you guys were sharing your stories is grace. You know, and I think a lot of times we don't show grace to one another. And um, Jay and your story about the guy you know, just coming off rude to you off the bat because he, he maybe he couldn't relate to you or he felt like you were coming in, you know, trying to help. Or, mighty or but not, um, yeah. yeah, right. They, he probably felt intimidated or something, you know, but um, I, I see that a lot of times when people are trying to come off like really tough or rough, those are the people that need the love the most. Yes. You know, and, you know, the average person, they may get offended or they may react in a way that's, you know, they, they come down to their level, you know, and they get mad. But in those times, you really have to pull it together and be like, look, this person is probably going through a rough time. I'm not going to take it personal, but I'm going to show them grace and forgiveness. And, you know, hopefully they take it. If not, then that's okay. But at least you left that part of you with them. Um, but thank you both for sharing those stories because it's amazing. Brittany, think about, like, if we just can, like, if we just can fathom what it would take for somebody to try and offend us consistently. Like, think about the number of people that you may just have offended not trying. Like, 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 but think about the energy and the time you have to spend. Nobody has that time. Like, nobody has it. So right. Even, yeah. <laughs> even in the space right. of just finding yourself 
offended by anything. Like the amount of time that it would take for somebody to literally try and offend us consistently, like nobody has that time. So I, yeah. I, can, I can have the time to let it go, like seriously. Right, and that's a lesson learned for our listeners out there. <laughs> yeah, just let it go. Like um, also, some... <laughs> let it go. <laughs> um we have two more questions i know we've been on here for some time um but we have two more questions uh how would you guys define your you know being a your brother's keeper like what does that mean to you Billy's, go ahead man because you're gonna make me cry man i need to cry <laughs> oh man um being my brother's keeper i i guess I don't know, it's kind of a complex design, I guess, for me, but um, I think it's just that unconditional um, love, you know. Um, you know, if you keep something in a safe, it doesn't matter what that thing does, that safe should stay locked. Um, and so if, I, if I'm saying those words that I'm your keeper, it's like a safe, I'm a safe, no matter what, uh, your brother does or that person does um that safe has to stay locked that that has to stay intact and so i really believe that um saying those words mean uh it's forever it's unconditional there's nothing that you can do that's gonna run me away um from you um and i think <laughs> the word brother right <laughs> I know this might sound corny, but uh, me and my wife were having this discussion the other day. We have a lot of discussions. She hates having discussions with me because I really go deep and go old school on her all the time. <laughs> you take it back um, to the caveman. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. She's not about that life. So I always tell her, when the zombie apocalypse comes, I'm leaving you. <laughs> She's like, yes, just let me be. <laughs> but um, the word brother, uh, that brother... The word brother means, I say, everybody. Um, you know, I would ask people and say, you love everybody? You know, I'll say, oh, yeah, I love everybody, of course. Um, but then when you get down to those details and say, well, what if this person does this? Then what? Mm, yeah, nah, nah, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but if we have in our mentality that we're our brother's keeper and everybody is actually our brother, um, we would have a different view um, of everybody that grace would be more freely given to everybody um, because that's what we do with our brothers we give grace um, we have mercy um, when they do things wrong we're we're eager to listen and forgive um, and I think that's uh, the mentality we need to have and look out for each other man like that the world the world wouldn't be uh, the world wouldn't be what it is that those those beautiful parts of this world would not be what it is if we were all selfish and looking out for ourselves. Um, we wouldn't see the beauty. Um, the beauty is us coming together and seeing each other as brothers and taking care of each other. So um, that's really what that, that means to me is showing that grace to all the people we come in touch with. Uh, we keep everybody safe, you know. I like when you asked the question, like I started thinking about like the story of Cain and Abel and the whole question of am I my brother's keeper and you know 
came really asking the question for, for those of you who, who don't know this is this is bible this is genesis <laughs> uh, and you know as, as as god is really kind of asking Cain, you know where is abel and cain's response to god is, is so interesting because he's asking God, am I my brother's keeper? If God is omnipresent, omniscient, like he, he already knows, like there's nothing you can really ask him. <laughs> he doesn't already know. And so I think that so often when we look at the, the situation that we live in as it relates to the ability to take someone's life, your brother's life, I'm talking about in our community, right? It goes back to the context of that. Like, like are, you, are, you, are you not your brother's keeper? Like, how do you not see yourself in that man? Like, how do you not see yourself in that woman? How do you not see yourself in that child? Like, for me, being my brother's keeper, being my sister's keeper, being my, my, my son's father is seeing myself in him. Mm-hmm. Seeing my ability to be fallible, like seeing my ability to fail, seeing my ability to be great, seeing my ability to be hurt, seeing my ability to, like, it's seeing me and them, but also seeing their selves in me. Like, if I can be hurt, they can be hurt. Mm-hmm. If I can be sad, they can be sad. If I, like, in the, the, the parent-child relationship for me is such a learning experience, man. Like, I love big. being a parent. <laughs> big, big. So much about how to deal with people who are adults. Like everybody is growing. Like, like most of us have yet to develop into adulthood. Like even in our 50s and 60s, there are still some people who have not developed into that space. So when I think about being my brother's keeper, it's about how can I see myself in them? And then how can I see the most dynamic parts about them and learn them and try to understand them in a way that doesn't make me biased towards the things about them that I don't get? And so like when we went back to the conversation about what should people do, like when they come into a space with people, that's the same thing that I just do in life is how can I listen? How can I understand exactly what it is that you need? And I'm not talking about what material things that I can give to you, but like we're, we're having a, a more, more so spiritual experience than we are having a physical experience. So even like tying this whole like biblical thing back in, like being my brother's keeper is knowing what things ail or ill like like what things can cause ailment to people who i i love or don't necessarily know enough to love or whatever it is and just making sure that those things if i can prevent them from happening whatever harm i can prevent from happening to them that i do that by way of my life by way of my decisions by way of my words by way of my work that is me being my brother's keeper it is causing no harm and doing everything that i can within the realm of my integrity to make sure that they can get whatever it is that they need. That's it. Mm. Amen. <laughs> Amen yes. I'm sure everyone that's listening is going to be like, yes. Enjoy you snapping. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> oh, oh, man. This has literally been one of my favorite episodes, and we've been recording them, but, but it's just been so fulfilling hearing your stories, hearing uh, everything. It's just, it just, I don't know. I feel like it's everything is full circle. But because we got to wrap it up, let our listeners know how they can support your efforts. I'll take the easy road because I feel like if I give you guys all of the websites and all that stuff, like it's difficult. 
but I try to put as much of what I'm doing on social media as possible. And you can find me on everything with the ampersand sign at J-E Green 365. And green is spelled just like the color. So it's J-E-G-R-E-E-N 365. And it's on everything, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And in any of those spaces, you'll be able to find out stuff about MBK or the mayor's office. Um, and, and that way you'll be able to be connected. Direct message me, JoJo, that's how we got to this space. Um, so I'm, I'm highly communicative and I'll make sure that you get access to whatever it is that you need. I'm about to follow you right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, for, for me, it's pretty simple. Um, you, anybody can log on to our website. Um, that's mybrothersworkshop.org. And um, you can have all information on there. Um, of course, the, the easiest and best way to help is money. Um, money is the, the, the driving factor to keep this program moving. Um, and so um, just donations of money. Um, but finding out what we do and exactly how um, it's being put to use, um, all that information is on the website. Um, but everybody can follow me as well. Uh, at, I'm on, also on, on everything. Um, at Julius the Chef One, um, that's J U L I U S T H E C H E F One, and that's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything, um, and you can just see my adventures there. Thank you both so much. I'm sure, as everyone, like either they grab their tissues or they are going to be able to learn a lot. But this has been a very, very special episode. Yes, and I can't thank you guys both thank you enough. Guys. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing all this information. And I'm very grateful that we all were able to connect in this space. So keep doing what you're doing. You know, we are rooting for you both. Um, and I'll definitely connect with you, Jay, on social media. And we'll share all the information that I can. Um, can I just leave it one thing? Can I say one more thing? Sure. Yes. Um, and I'm sure Jay could... Um, could also agree with this uh, statement. Um, I guess I guess I don't want any listeners to feel like, in order to do anything uh, similar to what we're doing uh, or um, affect people in the way that we have, you have to be perfect. Um, we are not, right, Jay? You can agree at all, man. At all. <laughs> I enjoy being perfect. <laughs> all right, <laughs> we are not at all, and um, and still, uh, you can affect change. Um, I think just by holding on to those principles, um, you know, really listening to people, um, uh, being compassionate, uh, even when you don't agree. Um, I, the worst thing about the climate that we live in right now is the, the hate that's being pushed out um, to people that disagree. I hate seeing it um, on social media, on the news, on TV, just talking with friends. And I hear all the, the back and forth where friends are not friends with these friends because they believe this one thing. Um, uh, we need to just hold on to these principles, you know, listen to each other, hear each other out. You can disagree and still be compassionate. Um, and those are, that's what's gonna affect real change in our communities. Um, us, we can keep being our brothers keepers by holding on to those principles and just being that, you know, solid rock for each other, you know. So that's all I want to leave with. We're not perfect, but hold on to those principles and you'll be all right. <laughs> hey, Julius, man, you just reminded me of something. Um, so the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who's the founder of the Nation of Islam, one of the principles that they um, is, is, is the clean glass and the dirty glass. 
that if you sit a clean glass and a dirty glass in front of a man, which one will he? If he has any sense, of course, he'll choose the clean glass. And so anybody who, as you mentioned a moment ago, who really wants to do this work, it's not about agreeing or disagreeing. If, if, if you represent a clean glass, people will be drawn to you. They'll want to drink from your wisdom. They'll want to drink from the service that you provide. But if nobody is, is, is doing that, then you may represent uh, the dirty glass. And so it, it may be time to, you know, figure it out. But as you said, you don't have to be perfect to do this work. You just simply have to have a heart and desire to listen. So I'm excited. I also want to say thanks to Jojo and Brittany for yes. <laughs> the platform, right? Because we wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to like almost cry today because of Julius's amazing words and experience and all the great work that he's doing if you all weren't doing great work of your own. Um, and I know that you guys are doing entrepreneurial endeavors. You guys have this platform. And so you guys also have the, the black and brown connection going on, a Latina and, you know, a, a black girl. You, you got it going on. So I just want to say, you know, thank you to you guys that we don't do enough to appreciate our women. And so before mm. we get off of here, I just want to thank you guys for being amazing. Um, and hosting this platform in any way that we can support this. I know Julius already will, because I think Brittany would probably give him a shot to the gut if he didn't. I know he's <laughs> not. But, <laughs> but whatever we can do to support what you guys are doing, please let us know. Um, this is an amazing platform, and I encourage everybody to continue listening for more great information, stories, and just good stuff about life. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Talk That Talk Uncensored with JoJo and Brent. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast, which is available on all streaming platforms. Talk to you next week.